If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And Midi can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. You're listening to Boomers Today with your host, Frank Sampson. Well, welcome to Boomers Today. I'm your host, Frank Sampson. And of course, each week we bring you important and very useful information on issues facing baby boomers, their parents and other loved ones. And I just, I can't thank all of you enough for all your support, uh, sharing our podcasts with uh, people, friends, family, etc., And um, our, our listeners are growing each and every day. And it's probably because we have great guests and uh, today's not gonna be any different. We have with us Andy Robin, who is an author, speaker, executive coach, and life coach, also serves on the board of a foundation in Palo Alto, Alto, California, and a New York City hedge fund, and enjoys day trips, lectures, and concerts around the San Francisco Bay Area and Silicon Valley. He wrote Tapas Life to do some good for others who haven't yet come to grips with their likely extended longevity and the need to assemble a new type of life to make those bonus years rich and rewarding. Andy, uh, pleasure. Uh, uh, thank you so much for, for joining us on, on Boomers today. Great. Thanks for including me, Frank. Yeah. So th this is an important subject and we have a lot of uh, people listening to the show, probably in that uh, age range of uh, uh, thinking, all right, maybe it's uh, could be time for retirement or I'm going to settle down a little bit. What am I going to do day to day? So I, I'd love to, you know, I've written a book also, and I always like asking people, you know, kind of their uh, catalyst for writing the book. And maybe you could tell us a little bit about it. And I'm always curious to hear how you came up with the name. So tell us more. Okay. Well, yeah, I had a long career in tech. And then my wife and I swapped roles. She had quit her, her career to raise kids. And when they were 13 and 15, we swapped. I quit my big job to become house dad. And once our youngest had gone off to college, I found myself having to reinvent my life. It took me about four and a half years to do that. And, you know, I did it kind of like walking around a room in the dark, knocking into the walls and furniture every place. And so I wrote the book because I figured out a process step by step by which I could possibly make this a lot easier for others. I wrote the book as part of my meaningful tapa to try to be helpful to others. Why is it called Tapas Life? Uh, well, it, it turns out that during your long career, you know, usually you have one big job and maybe family. And that's like a huge porterhouse steak with a baked potato that crowds everything off the plate. Mm -hmm. And uh, instead, it, tapas, if you don't know them, are the food of Spain right. and uh, known as meses in the Middle East and 
same other places, uh, you get a lot of little dishes and you order a few and then you order a few more if you want. If you like one, you order another round of that and they come on like coffee sized platters or plates, coffee uh, saucer sized plates and they're called tapas, it literally means covers. And eventually you cover the table. And so what I discovered was that instead of a big career and family, I could have a lot of different things going on in my life. And one day I ran into a friend on the streets of Palo Alto and he said, hey Andy, you look great, what are you up to? And I said, well, I'm, I'm, I'm living my tapas life. And it uh, just dropped out of my head like a gumball, you know, there it was. And, uh, you know, that's how the title of the book and that was the reason for the book. And it is a step by step that makes it easy and a light read and so on. That's great. And, and they could, I assume the uh, book is on Amazon. Is there other ways to get it as well? People prefer it, it is on Amazon and it's there as a really nice paperback. I was honestly surprised by what a quality job Amazon does and also as a Kindle. Great, great. So where do people start? I mean, somebody who's, uh, listen, I'm in that age group too. And I've got friends going, ah, I don't want to retire. What am I going to do? You know, I, what am I going to just play golf? You know, I'm sure you hear, you've heard that before, right? Of course. Uh, so what, what do you say to people who have that type of a, re, you know, response or? Yeah, well, there's, there's kind of two things that have to happen. The first is, is you have to enjoy that. All right, I, I just completed my long career and now I'm going to play. And, you know, I call it the decompression phase. Call it what you like. Uh, but it's the opportunity to, I'm going to travel, I'm going to play golf or tennis or pickleball. I'm, you know, going to go visit relatives I haven't seen forever. I'm going to get together with college friends. I'm going to do all that stuff, go to museums, take day trips. And you're going to do that. And, you know, some people are happy doing that for six months or whatever. It took me about a year and a half. And then one day you wake up and you suddenly realize that you don't have much on the calendar and maybe you're a little bored. And then at that point, if you haven't yet, the most important thing you can do for yourself is to put a little structure in your life. Because it's a very bad thing to wake up and have your calendar look like a white rabbit in a snowstorm. <laughs> There's nothing that you can see there. And uh, then you get to where you don't feel necessarily a need to get dressed or even get out of bed. And pretty soon that gets uh, depressing to right. many people. And you may know folks who have been in that box and it's an ugly box. And so you put a little structure in your life. And what does that mean? Well, maybe you have a morning routine. Maybe you get up and uh, have a little breakfast, uh, read some email, read some news, take a shower, uh, see what's going on. Maybe you like to take a walk in the morning or you have an exercise regime a couple of times a week or whatever that is. Um, you may wanna 
have other more mundane things on your calendar, like I do the laundry every other Sunday. I water the orchids every other Saturday. Um, I take out the garbage on Thursday evenings. Uh, I like to organize a couple of lunches a week with friends so that I get out of the house and have some social connection. I like to organize at least one social activity with my wife sometimes. We try to have some meals together. So you put some things on your calendar and you get some structure. And that's, that's really the very first most important step, step after the, you know, just relax a while. So I've got a, a question for you, and I guess it's uh, probably a, a, what I'm thinking more of a personal question, but I think a lot of other people might be thinking the same thing. So you, you know, you've had a, a wonderful career, been in business, uh, worked, uh, in, like you said, in the tech world. Um, you know, your mind was going a, a, a million miles an hour every day, I'm sure. And then all of a sudden, you know, you screech, you know, the brakes and, and, and you go from, you know, moving at a very fast pace to, you know, as slow of a pace as you want. Did you feel that the mind, uh, you know, you talk about a lot of the physical activity and keeping busy and meeting with friends, but getting that mind uh, to still be active, which is extremely important, I think, in the in the field that we're in. Uh, what what are your thoughts there? Because uh, you, you you know you brought up some things that certainly was great and you know great idea. But what about the mind? <laughs> All right. Well, it it is quite important, and there are some different ways to address it. Uh, so. Uh, like I said, it took me 18 months to decompress. And one day I woke up and said, I think I'm finally going to start taking piano lessons and called our kids piano te teacher and started in on that. Now, you may think that that's the arts and it is. It's also very challenging to the mind. Sure. Learning to read sheet music and learning more and more advanced music. And now I've been doing that for uh, 17 years, I've gotten decent at it, but starting as an adult, nothing easy about that. Um, I decided since uh, our synagogue had been a decent place for our kids to have our values reinforced, I volunteered to be on a committee. Then I got tagged to be head of the committee. Then I got tagged to the board. Then I got tagged to the executive committee. That was keeping my brain alive and a lot of social contact. I decided to look for part-time work to keep my business brain alive. Uh, if you need some money, that's another reason to do that. Um, you can do that uh, as I did by looking for a half-time job. I did that as a try-by for three months or four months and then learned that that was too intrusive on my new life. Mm -hmm. uh, but I enjoyed learning some stuff and, and it was interesting and it informed my further choices. Um, you can also be a mentor uh, to younger people in your industry. 
You can teach about your industry. You can give talks in your industry. You can write articles for magazines and publications and websites in your industry. You can do consulting. So there are things you can do to keep that business brain going if you still have an appetite to. I frankly was pretty tired with what I was doing. In the final years of my long career, I was just being a mercenary, bringing home uh, meat to the puppies. Uh, So I didn't really want to go back to doing that. Uh, When I tried to get a half-time job, it was in something very distantly related where the technologies overlapped, but very different. So I would learn something new. Uh, But yeah, you got to keep your brain going and, and, you know, those are some ways to do it. Yeah. And and wouldn't you say that uh, social connection is just so important in this process? What are your thoughts there? I know you said that a couple times a week, you, you make it a point to have lunch with, you know, friends, acquaintances, et cetera. But I would think that's just such an important part of this, not, not to be just sitting home and, uh, watching TV and, uh, you know, that's, I I would think it's key. I I think you would agree. You know, one of the guys, I totally agree, Frank, one of the guys I interviewed for the book, because, you know, I have thoughts and observations from others in my book too. Uh, He and his wife love watching TV and they, by mutual agreement, swore off daytime TV once he retired because they weren't just going to sit around the house and watch TV because that's death. Uh, you got to have, you got to get yourself up and out of the house because a lack of social connections been shown by a lot of scientific research to result in a gradual reduction in the capability of your immune system, gradual increase in susceptibility to depression and, you know, accelerates your decline. And so you, you, you got to have that. And, you know, maybe uh, you were close to some people from the office and you can continue some of those relationships. Maybe there are friends you'd like to see more of or family you haven't seen in a while, you know, cousins by the dozens who you'd like to reconnect with. Maybe you're part of a religious affiliation or uh, some sort of service organizations like uh, lions or, or uh, rotary or stuff like that. Uh, if you're not, figure out something to join or some way. If you don't like that kind of organization, find a movie club, find a book club, find a music club, join a sports organization, a sports team. It doesn't have to be big stuff. It could be little dumb stuff and still be great for social connection. Great suggestion. So Andy, we're going to take a a real quick break here. I promise just to recognize our sponsor and we come back, you know, maybe we could, you could share some things that maybe people may fail at and, and, and how to deal with that. So when we come back, we'll talk about that. Okay. Sure. Um, So I just want to ask everybody listening, do you happen to know anybody who may be concerned about an older driver? Well, Beyond Driving with Dignity is a facilitated self-assessment program for older drivers. 
The program has been designed to serve as a vital tool to facilitate older drivers and their families, and they make appropriate decisions regarding the future of one's safe driving career. If the individual is a safe driver, an advisor will provide him or her with strategies on how to remain a safe driver as they progress through the aging process. If driving retirement is the appropriate decision, then the individual and their family are offered possible alternatives, resources, and a specific plan to ensure a smooth and successful transition from the driver's seat to the passenger seat. So to learn more, you could go to www.beyonddrivingwithdignity.com or call 877-907-8841 to connect with a senior care authority advisor in your area that will discuss the Beyond Driving with Dignity program. Uh, we're back with Andy Robin, who is the author of Tapas Life, uh, speaker, executive coach, life coach, and a, a successful retiree. Is that okay to say that? Andy, a successful retiree? I, I, I think so. I mean, if you look at the origin of the <laughs> yeah. word retire, it's from, right. you know, it's from the Latin meaning, meaning taken out of service. And I, I don't like to think of myself oh, that right. way. Now we got to come up with a, what, what's a new name we could come up with? We need to come up with a new name. I agree with you. I agree with you. So, so let's talk about uh, maybe and I don't know, maybe, I don't know if you interviewed people. I, I, I'm, I'm sorry to say I haven't written your, uh, uh, I haven't read your book yet, which I'm going to do, but um, I don't know if you interview people in there, but, uh, or if you yourself had experienced, you know, failing at trying new things and uh, maybe talk about that a little bit. Yeah, sure. Well, you know what, before, you know, before I'm sorry to interrupt you, I don't want to make sure we don't run out of time here. I want to, uh, could you just share with people maybe how somebody could learn more about your book and how they could connect and sure and anything else? If you have, I don't know if you have your own website, feel free to share this information. Yeah, sure. You, you can go if you want to, to tapaslife.com, T-A-P-A-S-L-I-F-E.com. That's my website. And the website's really just to tell you more about me and more about the book and to see what folks who have read it have said about it and to see a few articles that I've written here and there. And uh, when I get off my lazy behind, it'll have links to all these podcasts. <laughs> okay, great. Well, good. So let's go back to the question about, you know, possible failing at certain things and, yeah. and just your thoughts there. Yeah. So one of my chapters is called fail freely. If you think about it all your life, from trying to figure out how to sit up, to crawl, to feed yourself, to, you know, stand, read, get through school, maybe find a mate, get a job, be successful at your work. All through life, you're trying to succeed and to not fail. And now for the first time in your life, very possibly, you can try all kinds of stuff and fail miserably. And it just doesn't have any cost. So, yeah, so you know. Give us maybe some example, any examples you could give that uh, you went through it yourself? Yep, 
Absolutely. You know, I decided it was going to be pretty cool to teach advanced placement environmental studies to high school juniors and seniors in our local public high school. Because our kids took that course, and they, of course, affectionately called it APES, A-P-E-S. And I wanted to gear up some younger folks to be the future army on behalf of the environment and the world. And so, you know, I went to the school and they said, oh, we'd love to have you. And I went and did all the work to enroll in a teaching certificate program at San Jose State. And it was a lot of work. You got to take a big exam in biology, which is the related, related subject, and another one in all other science topics. And you have to, you know, do a bunch of written essays to show you can write and communicate. And you have to go find college transcripts from a million years ago, which was non-trivial. And then finally, the last step they say is, oh, you got to go sit in a classroom at that high school for 10 hours. So we're sure you know what you're getting into before you come enroll in the program. Mm -hmm. And so I went and found a science teacher and she said, yeah, come sit in my, uh, in my low lane freshman, my biology class. So this is a classroom at one of the two top high schools in the state of California, uh, full of students who don't want to be there. <laughs> and I sat there for an hour and I was like, this is horrible. I went to the science teacher and said, so what would my path be to teach apes? And she said, well, you know, we're unionized, so you'd have to be in this classroom for as long as it took for something to open up in high lane biology. And then you'd have to be in that for as long as it took before an AP environmental sciences slot opened up. Mm -hmm. So after a four month process of, of relearning biology in the Kaplan AP biology workbook that's two inches thick. Oh my God. And taking all these tests and writing essays and doing all this stuff. I was out. <laughs> and I tried a couple of private schools who wanted, you know, crazy requirements on my time. And uh, finally I was done. I had failed miserably. Now, I was still able to pay my mortgage. None of our friends thought me a fool. Our kids couldn't believe that I was, you know, slaving over this biology workbook. Everybody admired me for the effort. There was no loss here. Right. And so the, the trick of the game is try stuff, fail. If you don't fail, you found something good and you can do some of it. You may want to do more of it. If you fail miserably, then you mine it for learning. Oh, well, what did I learn from that? Oh, well, dumbbell, you should have found out that that was going to be the requirement early on and sat through that class for an hour before doing anything else. Right, right, right. Okay. Oh, that's great. 
you know, Andy, I do want to comment on something you mentioned earlier. Uh, you said you started playing the piano and you've gotten pretty good at it. And, and, and I think, you know, as I, as I mentioned to you uh, before, uh, I have a company that, you know, uh, is, is in the senior care industry. We deal with a lot of people with uh, dementia, various types of dementia, like Alzheimer's, et cetera. And there's a lot of, you know, people as they age, they worry about that. You know, am I going to get that? Uh, you know, they forget that they lose their keys and they're already panicking, you know? Uh, and, and I, yep. and I think that not, I think sure. studies show that if you challenge the mind uh, with thing uh, with challenge it with things that are not as familiar to you, it's proven no guarantees, but it's proven it helps. So uh, even even to the point where there's been studies done saying instead if you brush your teeth with your right hand start brushing with your left hand challenge the brain challenge yourself and that's a very small thing but I think playing an instrument is has come very highly recommended and maybe it's something that uh, you, you've always thought about I know myself I always wanted to play guitar and I started taking lessons when I was younger and then I stopped because I just wasn't interested but I'm interested again and, and I think that you bringing up the piano uh, you know taking piano is a perfect example of that but I any additional thoughts you have on that uh, well for example I was I was looking for a meaningful tapa <clears throat> And because over four years, I had built a nice hedonistic life, very pleasurable, but it felt a little hollow, a little empty. It was like I was just a consumer of resources. And then I realized I needed a meaningful tapa. And at that time, I poked around for six months until I found coaching. Right. And then I went and took 300 hours of study in how to become a decent coach. And now I've been doing coaching work. That's great. For 10 years. And so there again, it's an opportunity to challenge your mind. It's an opportunity to do something meaningful. And it's very deep social connection with another human. And so yeah, you, you can you can do that thing. You can do that kind of thing. And I'll I'll point out to your piano observation of brushing your teeth with your left hand when I was trying to get better at the piano. My left hand was weak. And for about six months, I did everything imaginable with my left hand. Good for you. That's great. That's great. So unfortunately, I only have a, a, a minute or two left, but maybe you could just give your, your thoughts. I know that when we spoke before, uh, and, and I think you highlighted in your book, you know, the opportunity to focus on being, not just doing. I know we talked a lot about things you're doing, but maybe you could, uh, any final thoughts on that particular subject matter? So we've spent our life doing, and this is a chance to introspect a bit. So you can, the biggest thing you can do for yourself is go back and look at what were the defense mechanisms you put in place as a child to survive in your family? And which of those is still serving you and which of those do you wish to jettison? So for example, I have an older brother who used to tell me I was stupid all the time. 
And it took me into my 20s to realize it's because he was six years older, knew a lot of things I didn't yet know. But in into my 50s, when people would say something obvious to me, I would say, yeah, I'm not stupid. I know that. Mm-hmm. Well, I decided in my late 50s after coaching school to jettison that reaction. It was no longer serving me and it was pretty stupid. <laughs> and there I was being stupid. So you can go visit those things. You can look at how you show up in the world. Can you be kinder to others? When people have an opposing viewpoint, can you get curious instead of angry? How can you be more helpful? How can you share yourself? It's great points. Great points. Thank you. So, Andy, thank you so much for joining us on on Boomers today. A wealth of information. Uh, check check it out. Uh, his book Tapas Life on Amazon or it's tapaslife.com. Is that right? Tapaslife.com. Yep. Tapaslife.com. Uh, so, uh, Andy Ro- Robin, thanks so much for joining us on Boomers today. Thanks for including me, Frank. Yeah. And uh, everybody, please, please be safe out there. And we'll talk to everybody real soon. You've been listening to Boomers Today with Frank Sampson. To learn more about today's show, visit boomerstodayradio.com. And join us next time for another edition of Boomers Today. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply.